everyone, and welcome to the latest podcast in our Driving DE&I series, focusing on the FCA and PRA's recent consultation papers on diversity and inclusion. My name is Hannah McCasin-Schaff, and I'm a counsel in our financial services team. Today, I'm joined by Laura White, a partner in our data protection team, and together we'll be focusing on the data protection aspects of the FCA's data reporting and disclosure proposals, which are considered to be the key components of the new proposed framework on diversity and inclusion. Just to briefly remind everyone and to set the scene, firms will be required to publicly disclose their diversity and inclusion targets and their progress towards them annually. These targets will be reviewed and updated regularly to ensure they remain stretching but realistic. Also, firms will be required to report to the FCA their average number of employees. In addition, large firms, those with an average of 251 or more employees over a rolling three-year period, will be required to report annually to the FCA on data across a range of demographic characteristics, such as age and ethnicity, and provide information on inclusion, such as whether employees feel safe to speak up if they observe inappropriate behaviour or misconduct in the workplace. Firms may also voluntarily report on other characteristics such as gender identity and socioeconomic background. The FCA is currently considering whether they should mandate the reporting of such data. Having set the background, let's move on to the first question. Lara, great to have you here. So the first thing we wanted to cover is, do firms need to be concerned about breaching their data protection obligations when reporting and disclosing information? Thanks, Hannah. Well, I guess yes and no. Um, Firms do need to comply with their data protection obligations in respect of the collection uh, and use of data um, in connection with sort of the proposed obligations. And this is something that the FCA and the PRA are aware of. Indeed, the FCA's proposals highlight that they've consulted with the UK Information Commissioner's Office um, and, as is identified in the proposal, that it is possible to comply with the proposed obligations and comply at the same time with data protection law, provided appropriate controls are in place. That said, handling diversity data is definitely an area where you know it's very important to think carefully about the the different issues that are, uh, are raised, um, especially because the collection of the data, the type of data in question, um, you know, raises different issues and. Uh, to to the collection of sort of some more bland types of employee data. And in particular, it involves the processing of of what's termed special category data. Uh, So data such as um, information around ethnicity, sexual orientation. And these types of data uh, are are subject to additional protections under UK data protection uh, law. And so those sorts of uh, additional issues have to be quite carefully considered. Thanks, Lara. That's really interesting. Um, Could you take us through some of the main points firms will need to think about from a DP perspective when preparing to comply with these proposals? Sure. Well, there are a few things um, and and really sort of the main things to think about uh, will be how firms comply with the, the principles, data protection principles set out in the UK GDPR. So just by way of background, like the FCA, the data protection regulator, the, the Information Commissioner's Office is working with a kind of principles-based framework as set out in, in the GDPR. And there are seven principles that are set out in Article 5. In terms of the kind of the top ones to be aware of in, in the context of the proposals, I think the first to mention is probably data minimization. So this principle means that 
firms should only be collecting the data that is needed for the purposes for which they're collecting it. And they shouldn't be collecting um, uh, any additional data. So what this will mean in practice will be that firms will need to think about the obligations that they're subject to and um, think about how they ensure that the, the, the data that's being collected is, is effectively limited to that that they, they need to collect, which might be look, thinking about the design of the questionnaires so that it only relates to information that, that they really need. Um, it might be you know, avoiding free text boxes so that unnecessary personal data is recorded. And also where, where appropriate, it might be looking at sort of aggregating survey results um, you know, to the extent that that's, that's possible. And, and I think probably the FCA has, has themselves built safeguards um, into their proposals to address data minimization and, and the, the privacy protections of, of individuals. So for example, it, it recognizes the, the challenge with the issue of identifiability where the disclosure of data at a granular level might risk uh, identifying a particular individual and says that in that circumstance, firms can combine seniority levels uh, and disclose less granular information if necessary. The second principle that I would highlight is purpose limitation. So firms need to be very clear um, in, or in their privacy notices and communications with employees about the purpose for which they're collecting data. And it shouldn't then be reused for, for another purpose. And you know, this is particularly important for diversity data where employees are being told that they can disclose very sensitive personal data about themselves for specific compliance purposes. And it would it's then important that that um, you know there's there's sort of not a secondary use of uh, of the data that gets collected for those purposes, which would risk undermining employee trust as as well as you know potential regulatory attention. And then the other important principle to bear in mind is the the, kind of the general overarching requirement for firms to process personal data lawfully, fairly, and transparently. So transparently is the idea that um, individuals must be told uh, about the collection of data and and, and why it's um, being being collected. Um, but the lawful processing is 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 also important, and what that basically requires is that where personal data is being collected and used for these purposes, that the firms have a what's called a, a sort of a lawful basis or lawful ground to to do that. Now, the UK GDPR has six possible lawful grounds for processing personal data. Uh, one of these is that the processing is necessary for compliance with a, a legal obligation, which you know, might be a good fit for, for mandatory reporting uh, and, and the sorts of disclosures that we're talking about. Um, but it's also uh, important to remember that this ground can only be relied on for processing that is necessary com for compliance with the, the relevant legal obligation. And so any process for purposes beyond those legal obligations would need to, to rely on another lawful ground. Also, as I mentioned before, some of the data that we're talking about here um, is special category data. So data about sexual orientation, disability, long-term health conditions, ethnicity, religion. These, these categories of special um, or special category data um, attract extra protection 
under the the, the UK GDPR and the Data Protection Act. Um, and one of those extra protections is that one of the effectively sort of enhanced lawful basis is needed or an enhanced condition is needed to process it. Um, and there are you know, various uh, lawful basis that that may apply. So, for example, there's one in the Data Protection Act that says that the collection of this type of data is permitted to the extent it's necessary for compliance with uh, obligations in an employment context. Um, and there are some others around ensuring um, you know, quality of opportunities. Uh, but again, the, the the key key point here is that reliance on those grounds really is limited to processing of data that is necessary for the relevant purpose. Also, you know, a point worth mentioning is that to re rely on the grounds, firms need to make sure that they have some documentation in place to support um, why they consider that that one of those additional lawful bases is is appropriate. And then the the, the final point that I would um, mention here is, I suppose, wh what is it that firms do once they've collected the data for the purposes of the mandatory reporting? Um, you know, considerations will need to be given to things to issues such as how long is that data retained in what form is it retained um because uh, once again there are sort of requirements in data protection law that 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 govern the retention of of, of data thanks very much lara um and one of the other issues that that has come up is the question of consent and that often comes up in the context of um gdpr do firms need to get employees' consent to collect and process the data for the purposes of, of the DNI requirements that are being proposed? So no, not not necessarily. It's I think it's a myth uh, that still occasionally comes up about the GDPR that everything needs consent. You know, consent is just one possible option for the lawful bases that I mentioned earlier, and explicit consent um, is is just one option as a condition for processing special category data. And there are other lawful bases that are uh, available, meaning that consent is not the only option and in some cases may not be the best option. So one of the reasons for that is that the UK GDPR sets a pretty high bar for consent. Um, individuals have to be provided with very clear information about what it is that they're consenting to, um, which I should say probably isn't that that element is probably not too problematic here given that firms will want to be quite transparent about what they're collecting but there are also requirements about individuals being t um, informed about their right to withdraw consent uh, the ease by which individuals can withdraw consent and then one of the barriers in an employment context is is that consent has to be freely given now it's not insurmountable but you know, there are challenges with collecting freely given consent in an employment context because of the presumed imbalance of power between an employer and employee. So to sum up, you know, getting consent isn't necessary. It would potentially be an option, um, but uh, there are other options that that are available. And so if firms are going down the consent route, they'll, they, they'd have to really sort of, I suppose, think about why it is that they're not going to rely on one of the other lawful bases and also think very carefully about how they ensure that any consent that is obtained for this type of processing i.e., the collection of the data is valid thank you very much lara um one point we've touched on a few times is not disclosing more data than is necessary but for some types of data reporting is proposed to be on a voluntary basis does this mean in practice that firms can't make voluntary reports and what about requesting other data as part of a push to promote diversity 
that goes beyond what's required in these proposals. So, yeah, data protection law doesn't, again, doesn't prevent the collection and processing of data for for voluntary reporting or indeed for, for kind of wider diversity initiatives. Um, but the collection and processing of that data would need to comply with data protection principles. Um, so, you know, that might mean that um, the 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 lawful ground of legal obligation wouldn't be appropriate in all circumstances and the firm might have to consider perhaps whether it's it's going to rely on um uh, another uh condition either either a condition for the special category personal data or uh lawful basis for for personal data generally um also again with the 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 principle of data minimization, you know, even in the context of the voluntary reporting, it will be important that no more personal data than is necessary for the relevant purposes is collected. Um, so it's it's the same it's the same sort of principles, but but where the data is being collected on a voluntary basis, the the you know, the the analysis may be slightly different. Um, and what about how these obligations fit into wider data protection compliance programmes? Is there anything firms with a presence outside the UK should be thinking about if they are considering whether to take a similar approach to collecting and disclosing data on diversity across different jurisdictions? Well, I suppose the first point to note is, you know, I think these requirements apply to UK firms. Um, so yeah, UK law, I guess, is 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 the key requirement. But if your question is around, you know, the extent to which uh, firms, say elsewhere in Europe, are thinking about the collection of this data, then then really what's, I, I, I suppose, the, the message is that those firms would have to think very carefully uh, about whether um, the sort of collection and uh, reporting that is envisaged under these proposed obligations would be would be lawful. In, in the jurisdiction in which they're they're established, and this is because the laws vary a lot across jurisdictions, and e- even in even in Europe, um, there's a lot of variation between the legal regimes, despite the fact that the 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 baseline data protection rules are are broadly the same. So, um, in some continental European jurisdictions, for example, the circumstances in which categories of diversity data so some of those special category uh, data can be collected are, are very very limited um and sometimes that's because there aren't these additional lawful bases or or legal conditions that we have perhaps in the data protection act 2018 in the uk but also there are you know, cultural reasons why this type of data doesn't get collected in in some jurisdictions and indeed, sort of reflecting on these requirements um, as they apply to UK firms, but in the context of uh, the, the you know the makeup of of the the staff within these UK firms, I think some firms will find that there will be a, a lower uptake within perhaps some groups of their employees, maybe people from parts of mainland Europe, um, than than people who are. Yeah, been in the UK for a long time because there's just not that same culture of sharing the type of information that's contemplated here uh, in in all jurisdictions. Thank you very much. And 
one final question before we finish. Um, what's the most important point for firms to bear in mind when they're balancing their new obligations when they come into force and their data protection obligations? So I, th- I think it's really that whilst data protection law doesn't prohibit the collection of the types of personal data that is that is contemplated under the under the proposals it does set out a regime that firms have to have regard to when they are collecting and and reporting in line with the proposed obligations and i think firms have to be quite methodical in working through the various requirements that are set out in the principles and thinking through practical issues around the security and the retention of 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 the data when complying with the 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 proposals under the the fca and, and pra regime and can't think that just because they have these obligations uh on you know on on the on from coming out of the, the FCA and the PRA, that there's somehow a, a, a sort of a, an ability or that, that that gives them an ability to ignore um, the data protection principles. Um, so I, th- I think that's probably the key thing. And by being methodical or in being methodical, I think probably firms ought to think about documenting how they have dealt with each of the, the various requirements. Thank you very much, Laura. That's been really interesting and there's an awful lot for firms to think about. So thank you very much for joining us. Um, That brings us to the end of today's podcast. Do look out for further podcasts in this series on our Regulation Tomorrow page and blog. And as always, please please do get in touch with any queries or suggestions for future podcasts. And finally, don't forget that on the Norton Rose Fulbright website, we have our DE&I hub where you can find previous podcast recordings and other thought leadership materials on this topic. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.